Well, I feel patriotic this morning. Thank you. I do too. And uh, I, when I see the pictures of New York City, I love the winter in the Bahamas. <laughs> I brought something with me. It's my dog Yankee's lead. And uh, you're going to see a picture of Yankee here in a moment. Uh, Yankee is a standard poodle, uh, 65 pounds of love and intelligence. And uh, we take him on walks with this lead. And I'm going to tell you a story about Yankee and this lead a little later. So stay tuned, as they say in television. Romans chapter 10 ended with a word picture of God stretching out his hands uh, to disinterested and disobedient Israel as a nation. And if you go with me to Romans chapter 10, I want to show you that in verse 21, that's exactly how the chapter ended, Romans 10, 21. But as for Israel, he says, all the day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and an obstinate people. The Jews back in the time of the New Testament were disobedient to God. They were obstinate to God. They were disinterested and rejecting of God's Son, the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus. And those loving and divine hands of God, figuratively, were being offered to the Jews to grant them grace, salvation through Jesus Christ. It would be like when I want to take Yankee for a walk and I call him. And I ask him to come. We're going to go for a walk. And if he wants to be obstinate and disobedient, he won't respond to that. The nation of Israel was disobedient in the time of the New Testament and spiritually stubborn. And the Jews leaned away from the Lord's invitation to salvation. And instead they clung to a, a rejecting disbelief of the Messiah God had promised to them in the world. Of course, the Jewish nation back then had innumerable opportunities to hear the gospel. All of the Old Testament prophets had been sent to them by God to announce Messiah's work. John the Baptist had preached the truth to them. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the kingdom of heaven was at hand because the king of the kingdom was on earth. Thirty years in obscurity in a backwater town called Nazareth, but he was on earth, and he was going to emerge on the banks of the River Jordan to start a public ministry that would culminate in the cross and the empty sepulcher. Oh, yes, the Jews had innumerable opportunities to embrace and respond to God's provided Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus himself, for three and a half years, had publicly, with notoriety, moved among them, preaching and healing and doing miracles and even raising their dead and teaching with authority. Oh, yes, they had many opportunities. And plus, after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, after the ascension, on the day of Pentecost, God sent the Holy Spirit that believers like us would not be left as orphans when Christ was at the Father's right hand. And those eyewitnesses, those apostles, those eyewitnesses of the resurrected Christ were used of God, many of them, to write the New Testament scriptures in the power and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Oh, yes, the Jews of the New Testament times and the Jews' sense have had ample opportunities to respond to God's love and Savior. 
but they declined. When I called Yankee for a walk, sometimes he bounds toward me, and other times he declines for his own reasons. The Jewish nation had the necessary background knowledge of the true God, and the Jewish nation had the God-given intellect to grasp the simple gospel message of salvation of by grace through faith in Jesus, but they pulled away. That's the other thing Yankee does. When I get him on this leash, sometime when I go walking, he has a mind of his own, and he pulls against me, and it's <laughs> him walking me. <laughs> the Jews remained apart from the loving Heavenly Father, although his arms were outstretched to receive them, but they did not run into those arms. They pulled away. And the question became, for the first readers of the book of Romans, the question became, will the Lord reject every single Jew? Is God done with the Jewish nation carte blanche? Will he reject every single Jew? Or put another way, has the Lord totally rejected the nation of Israel? Has he written them off? Has he replaced them with the church? These are all questions that this sermon will answer. These are all questions that are addressed by Romans chapter 11, verses 1 to 10. And before we dive into those verses, let me just say that in these verses, the Holy Spirit argues through Paul, the human writer, that God is not through with the Jews, that the Lord has not written off all of his chosen people, that God has not dropped the nation of Israel in order to pick up the church. Not at all. And there are three evidences for God not totally rejecting Israel that are given in Romans 11, verses 1 through 10. We're going to see them. Let me overview the three right now. Number one, the conversion of Paul. Number two, the chosen remnant. And number three, the condition of Israel. All of these things presented in this passage argue as evidence that God has not totally rejected his people, the Jews. So let's consider these one by one. First, the conversion of Paul argues that the Lord has not totally rejected the nation of Israel. The conversion of Paul argues that the Lord has not totally rejected the nation of Israel. See this with me in Romans 11.1. I say then, God has not rejected his people. Has he? May it never be. For I, too, am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. Yes, the conversion of Saul or Paul argues that the Lord God has not totally rejected the nation of Israel. In fact, when the question was even raised, may it never be, meganoito, the strongest negative in the New Testament Greek language, is used. We could translate it, by no means. God forbid. How could you even have such a thought? Paul was emphatically writing that the Lord has in no way, shape, or form rejected the whole nation of Israel permanently with respect to his offered salvation. In no uncertain terms, Paul recorded scripture which contends that God has not written off Israel with respect to being saved through Jesus Christ's blood sacrifice. The Lord 
after all, cannot have rejected every Jew from being saved because exhibit A is Saul of Tarsus, who we know as the Apostle Paul, who God used to write 60% of the New Testament. Of course, Saul, and then later named Paul, was Jewish. In fact, he had a pure Jewish pedigree. He was an Israelite by birth. He was no Gentile proselyte, Johnny-come-lately convert to Judaism. Saul Paul was Jewish through and through. He was a direct descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was a Benjamite. That is from the tribe of Benjamin. No one could make a fair case against Paul being a real Jew. And all this being said, Jewish Saul or Paul converted to Christ on the road to Damascus. He believed in God's Son and thereby ran into God's outstretched and accepting hands for salvation. If you hold your places in Romans and go with me to Philippians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, I want to show you Paul's religious resume. Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Paul is writing under inspiration to the church at Philippi, and he says in Philippians 3 verse 1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision, for we are the true circumcision, that is Jews. We are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Now, as we read on, you'll see all the reasons he might have had to place confidence in his Jewish flesh. Here's his resume. Verse 4, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. But, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. We need to realize When Paul went through his religious pedigree and his resume, we need to realize that being of the tribe of Benjamin had come to have an especially respected and favored viewpoint with the other 11 tribes of the Jews. And here's how it happened. After the death of King Solomon, the united kingdom of the 12 total tribes of Israel split, never to be recovered. They split 10 to 2. The ten northern tribes, we call them Israel, went into Assyrian captivity because of their idolatry, and they have never emerged in a discernible way since. People in those ten tribes who are Jews, descendants of those ten tribes, do not know who their forefathers are because God's judgment was so severe on those ten idolatrous tribes of Israel, we call Israel, they went into Assyrian captivity captivity, and they came out without an ethnic national identity as tribes ever again. That's how serious idolatry is to God. Have idols in your hearts? Idols in your homes? Do we have idols in our country? God hates idolatry. But 
Paul makes the point that he was of the tribe of Benjamin, one of the esteemed southern tribes. It split ten to two, ten to the north, two tribes to the south. We call the two tribes that went to the south Judah because the two tribes that went to the south were the tribe of Benjamin and the tribe of Judah. But they are called Judah, the two tribes. And Paul's saying, I'm a descendant of Benjamin, one of the two tribes that didn't go north in idolatry. So these two tribes of Judah and Benjamin that we call, summary in a way, Judah, they formed the southern kingdom, which became simply known as Judah. And because the tribe of Benjamin remained true to the Lord, and because the tribe of Benjamin aligned with the tribe of Judah, making a southern kingdom viable, Benjaminites, like Paul, came to be highly respected within Israel. The Jewish peer group of the Benjaminites thought highly of them, and they thought highly of Saul because he was a Benjamite. But there were some other noteworthy Benjamites. Well-esteemed Jews who came from the same tribe of Benjamin. The first king of Israel, Saul. His son, Jonathan. The national heroine, Queen Esther. Her cousin, Mordecai. To name just a few of the Jews who were Benjamites. And all this being said, when Paul listed Benjamite on his religious resume, any self-respecting Jew thought something like this. Oh, cream of the cream. Oh, Ivy League. Oh, descendant of the pilgrims. Oh, descendant of the nation builders. You get the idea. And so Paul cited himself as being saved by Jesus Christ. Paul put himself forward as exhibit A proof that God has not written off all Jews with respect to his great salvation. So Paul was saved as we have been saved the same way. And Paul was a Jew by birth, and Paul was from an honored Jewish tribe, and Paul was very well trained as a Pharisee. He was a religious leader of the Jews that got saved. But that's not all. God's mercy was so large that God even saved Paul, later Saul, later called Paul, despite the fact, despite the fact he formerly hated Christians, detested followers of Jesus, persecuted Christians, and was on his way to Damascus to kill Christians. Yet God saved him. You cannot be here in the sound of my voice and have sinned too much or too severely for God to pardon you in Christ. There is no sin that any one of you has committed that God says, that's too big. I can't cleanse that. There's no sin that any of you have committed that God will say, I won't forgive that. You see, the unpardonable sin, let me quickly say, the unpardonable sin in the context of Matthew is to ascribe to the Miracle works of Jesus Christ you physically see done before your eyes when he was on earth and ascribe that power that's undeniable to Satan. That's the unpardonable sin. That's it. We cannot repeat the unpardonable sin because Jesus isn't physically, visibly present doing miracles and we say that's Satan's power he's doing it by. There is, however, one unpardonable sin. It's going to your grave having rejected Christ. That's unpardonable. There's no second chance. There's no purgatory. Okay, so let's set that aside. Let's make that plain. So this 
Christian church-hating, detesting, persecuting, murdering Saul, who became Paul, God's grace reached out the hand and saved him, made him new, gave him a new name, Paul. He became the apostle of God to the Gentiles. God used him to write 60% of the New Testament. There's nothing that you can do that would preclude God from saving you, cleansing you, making you new, and using you for his glory. And so this Paul, this Paul was justified by faith in Christ, even as we have been as believers. And we've been justified in his finished work. And Paul was a pure Jew of the tribe of Benjamin, no less. And Paul once hated Jesus and persecuted Jesus' followers. But that's not even all. The Lord called and saved Paul so he would be his very special anointed missionary to the Gentiles. Wow, we've got this uh, pedigree. We've got this superstar Jew of the tribe of Benjamin trained as a Pharisee at Gamaliel's feet. I mean, top dog, Ivy League, nation builder. And God saves him, makes him new, gives him a new name, Paul, and says, you are going to be the one I send to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Gentiles were known as dogs by Jews and not little pretty dogs like my dog. Mangy dogs, diseased dogs, aggressive dogs, starving dogs, dogs that would eat you if you had a uh, inability to run away from them. God says, Paul, <laughs> welcome to my family. You're clean of your sins. Now go take the same message that I cleansed you to people that you used to think are dogs. God, I want you to take the gospel of somebody you've written off. She'll never believe. Him? He's heard it before. God's sending you someplace that you may not be inclined to go. So the point that Paul's making in citing his own conversion in Romans 11 is very clear, and this is the point. If God saved Paul, a Jew by birth, a Benjaminite, a former blasphemer of Jesus Christ, a former persecutor of Christians, and if God saved Paul in order to make him a special missionary to the Gentiles, then surely the Lord intends to save other Jews too. Surely the Lord hasn't written off the Jewish people completely. That's the first evidence that he hasn't. The second evidence that God hasn't totally rejected Israel is the chosen remnant. The chosen remnant argues that the Lord has not totally rejected the nation of Israel. I see that in Romans 11 in our verses 2 to 6 of Romans 11. This chosen remnant of saved Jews in the future will argue that the Lord has not totally rejected the nation of Israel, the Jews. I'm reading at verse 2 to 6 of Romans 11. Please follow. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scriptures say in the passage about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? Lord, they have killed thy prophets. They have torn down thine altars. And I alone am left. And they are seeking my life. But what is the divine response to him? That I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. In the same way, then, there has also come to be at the present time a remnant. If I marked my Bible, I would underline a remnant according to God's gracious choice. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. And evidence that God has not totally rejected the Jews is that there is a remnant of believing Jews in Christ. When it comes to a fabric, ladies, you know that a remnant 
is a piece of fabric of a larger piece of the same fabric. A remnant is a salvageable offcut. A remnant is something that is made useful that was once thought to be useless. In verse 2, the verb is for new. Verse 2, and God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. This Greek word for uh, to foreknow means far more to, than knowing ahead of time what would happen. It means to love ahead of time. When we learned that we were going to be able to adopt a baby boy, we loved him before he was born. When we met him, it just confirmed and grew the love we already had for him. In verse 2, the verb for new means far more than to know ahead of time. It means to love ahead of time. And before the nation of Israel ever was a nation, the Lord loved the nation that he would bring into being through Abraham. And in verses 2 to 4 of this passage, Paul reminds the original Jewish readers of the book of Romans about some of their national history. He takes them back to the spiritually dark days of Israel when the prophet Elijah was the prophetic voice of God. It was a time not unlike the time we are living in the Bahamas. A vile time, a violent time, an idolatrous time. And actually, the idolatry was actually led by evil King Ahab, the king of Israel and his pagan and despicable and evil wife, Queen Jezebel. And at that time, nearly all of the nation of Israel had rejected the Lord in favor of bowing the knee to the false god Baal. And under King Ahab and Jezebel's evil leadership, babies were sacrificed alive on altars, like they do in America, since Roe v. Wade. 42-year anniversary of Roe v. Wade that legalized abortion in America, 58 and a half million American babies have been boarded. 58 and a half million babies in America have been aborted. Evil. And the president celebrates Planned Parenthood and the 42nd anniversary of Roe versus Wade, 58 million babies sacrificed alive on the altar to self-indulgence and convenience. God help America. We need to pray for the Bahamas Godparent Center, Rhonda and Jeff Darvel's ministry to bring healing and hope to those that are considering abortion right here in this country or have suffered the trauma of having an abortion and how do they go on from there? What a discouraging time it must have been back in that time in Israel's history when King Ahab and Queen Jezebel were wreaking havoc with idolatry to the, the prophet, prophets of Baal and the idol called Baal. And that prophet Elijah was so discouraged to the point of being depressed, to the point of being suicidal, that he was the only person left that feared God and bowed down to God. And God said, excuse me, 
I have 7,000 people who don't bow the knee to Baal. It's not just you. Maybe you think you're the only Christian who stands for the word of God where you work. Are you, are you right? Maybe you think you're the only Christian who stands on the principles of Scripture, the morality of Scripture on your street, in your neighborhood. Are you right? And if you are right, are you still going to stand on the principles and morality of Scripture? Elijah says, take my life. I'm the last one left, God. God says, I'm not going to take your life. There's 7,000 that I preserve that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. So get over your pity party and get serving me. If you're having a pity party that's your only one at work who's a Christian, only one in your marriage who's a Christian, only one in your neighborhood who's a Christian, get over it and start serving the living God. Yeah, he was depressed, Elijah was. He was desperate, utterly fed up with idolatry and God rejection, spiritual adultery. Wants to die. God says, I got more work for you to do. You're not going to die. And when God came to this prophet Elijah, you'll remember it wasn't in the earthquake and it wasn't in fire. It wasn't in a screaming voice from heaven. He came to his prophet and said, in the gentle blowing of the wind, are you slowing yourself up enough to hear the gentle blowing of the Holy Spirit each morning? God didn't come to Elijah in an Atlantis dramatic kind of way. He came to Elijah in the quietness of the breeze. Make time for him each day. Don't answer your phone. Don't turn on your computer. Let him speak to you in the gentle breeze. Romans 11, we're seeing that Paul points out that God is not finished with Israel. He converted Saul, later named Paul. He has a remnant of believing Jews back then, and he still has a remnant of believing Jews now, and he will have a remnant of believing Jews in the future, tribulation. And the third reason, evidence that God is not writing off Israel completely, is the condition of Israel. The condition of Israel argues that the Lord has not totally rejected his nation. Verses 7 to 10 follow. What then? That which Israel is seeking for, it has not obtained, but those who were chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened. Just as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see not and ears to hear not, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened to see not and bend their backs forever. I say then, Verse 11, did they not stumble so far as to fall? Did they? May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. The condition of the nation of Israel back then and now is an evidence that God is not finished with them. Paul in this writing turns from the minority of the believing Jews, the remnant within Israel, to considering the unbelieving majority of Jews. And he describes something that's pretty pathetic. According to verse 7, Paul's Jewish contemporaries, the majority, were hardened in their unbelief in Jesus. The majority of the Jews in Paul's day had heard the gospel, but they had hardened themselves to it. Have you done that? Put up a wall about the message that Jesus died for you and rose from the dead. 
the majority of Jews in Paul's day and to this day had heard the gospel, but they had hardened themselves to it. They had heard, but really they had not truly heard at all because they refused to actually hear the truth. Yeah, I've heard it before. I've heard it before. And yes, the majority of Jews alive, as Paul wrote Romans, could have understood the gospel. It was simple enough for a child to understand, but they had hardened themselves. They had put up walls. They had turned themselves off spiritually. They were know-it-alls. Go it alone without God, people. And there was a very, very sad result. The very, very sad result of this self-hardening of the hearts of the Jews of the New Testament time was that God further hardened their hearts. You choose to harden your heart against God and his will for your life, he may come to the point in judgment to further harden your heart toward him. That's a bad place to be. The Jews who have rejected Jesus Christ... God in judgment has further hardened their heart temporarily. He's not finished with the whole nation forever. Now watch this. Please follow with me. Because the Jews hardened themselves, God exacerbated, God increased their hardening for a time, for a season. And I should point out that the spiritual insensitivity described in verses 8 to 10 of Romans 11 logically must be only temporary because of verse 23, if you look ahead in the chapter, because of verse 25, because of verse 26, because of verse 30, because of verse 31. All of these verses indicate that one fine day in the future seven years of tribulation, one fine day, Jewish people will rush to Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior and be saved. Will die a martyr's death in that, in that woeful time future. But for now, the temporary spiritual hardening of the Jews results in hardness indeed. In verse 8, it quotes Deuteronomy 29.4 to come to the conclusion that the majority of Jews are in a spiritual daze. That is to say, that today most Jews are spiritually turned around dizzy. And therefore, they are spiritually disoriented. Today, the majority of Israelis are spiritually confused, spiritually blind, spiritually deaf, and spiritually desensitized. That's not all. As bad as that is, that's not all. Verse 9, it quotes Psalm 69, verse 22, to point out that the majority of Jews currently are not spiritually at peace with each other. It's not like they've rejected Christ en masse and they get along fine with each other. They've rejected Christ en masse and they don't even get along spiritually with each other. That's what it means when it says, let their table become a snare and a trap. Furthermore, by rejecting God's grace in Jesus Christ, Jews have opposed the God whom they claim to love. And here's the deal. The consequence of such oppositional rejection of Jesus is the active judgment of God further hardening hearts. This is what it means with the quote from the Old Testament, a stumbling block and a retribution to them in verse 9. And verse 10 completes the sad picture. It quotes Psalm 69, 23, verse 10. 
let their eyes be darkened to see not and bend their backs forever. The majority of Jews who were and are spiritually blind, and because they are, they're pictured as being in a state of spiritual bondage, a state of spiritual slavery. That's the phrase, bend their backs forever. Bondage. Slavery of a spiritual nature. Slaves' backs are bent. Free men's backs are straight. Slaves' backs are bent over. Free men's backs are straight. Truly, Israel's checkered history is largely one of Jewish unbelief. The Jews have doubted God often in their history, just like we who are Gentiles, we have doubted God often in our histories. And the day in which we now live is in no way the first time that more Jews have disbelieved their God than have believed him. That's nothing new. After Israel hardened her own national heart, the Lord further hardened it as a judgment. And this being observed, it does not mean that God has totally rejected the Jews forever with respect to salvation in his son, Jesus Christ. Because one day, after we're raptured out of here in the twinkling of an eye, and the judgments of the tribulation for seven years on earth proceed, one day, large numbers of Jewish people will flock to Jesus and his finished work on the cross in faith and be saved just the way that you and I are saved in this church age. At least 144,000 Jews will be saved in the tribulation. Those aren't Jehovah's Witnesses. Those are saved Jews in the tribulation. 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. Oh, so the 10 tribes who don't know who their daddies are? Well, no, in the tribulation. They'll know all 12 tribes of Israel will have 12,000 Jewish converts in the tribulation for a total of 144,000 saved Jews in the tribulation. God isn't finished with Israel. God saved Paul. God is saving a remnant of Jews today and will save a remnant of Jews in the tribulation. And one day when the fullness of all the Gentiles comes into the family of God by exercising faith in Jesus, the Lord will reverse Israel's spiritual blindness so that they too will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be wonderfully saved in huge numbers. Has the Lord totally rejected his Jewish people? No. God forbid. Can I give a Rob Elliott paraphrase? Are you crazy? Has God totally rejected his people, the Jews? May it never be. By no means. God forbid. Please show my dog again. There's Yankee. So sometimes when I walk my dog and he incessantly pulls against me and I'm tired, when it gets to be enough for me, I let the dog off leash and I let him run. Now, sometimes Yankee chooses to run away from me far enough that I don't see him. Kind of makes me nervous. But what if Yankee went missing for days after I did that? If that happens, I'll tell you one thing I don't do. I don't sell his food and water bowls. I don't give away his crate and bedding. I don't give to somebody else his flea and tick medication and his heartworm meds. 
Instead, looking for him, everywhere I go, I take this lead, and I call his name, Yankee, 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 because I'm expecting and I'm wanting him to appear from behind a building or backyard and come bounding out to me with that beautiful face that I can get down like a baseball bat catcher and just love him, tell him how glad I am to see him, reach out my arms to him, put him on leash, and take him home. Deep down, I believe that my dog's coming back to me. And deep down in the heart of God, who knows everything, he believes and wants his nation of Israel to come back to him through Christ. God's rejection of Israel is partial and it's only temporary. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the lessons we've learned about you and your love through what the verses have shown us about your people, the Jews. Lord, thank you that you are an unconditionally loving Lord, that your love cannot be stopped by anyone or anything, including we ourselves, that your covenants still stand, and that you don't break your promises. Help us, Lord, to love Jewish people that we have in our lives enough to share the truth about Jesus with them in love and prayer. And help us also to love the Gentile people in our lives that need Christ enough that they would also come to Christ in salvation. Thank you, Lord, for the holy hush you've provided as your Bible was preached. May it not be just an academic, I'm getting smarter exercise, but may it be, I'm getting to be more like Christ exercise. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. Amen.